0: ومن uh, Before we begin, just a small reminder It's mentioned in the famous hadith of Jibreel The hadith of Jibreel, where Jibreel, alayhi came to the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi in the form of a person and that's what the norm is. Normally the angels, when Jibreel alayhi salam, when he used to come to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi he used to come to him in the form of a man. And he used to come in the form of the most beautiful and the best of men. So in that hadith of Jibreel, the famous hadith, Jibreel came to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi in the form of a man. And he was wearing extremely white clothes and extremely dark hair. And he came... And he sat with the Prophet It's mentioned in the Hadith that Jibreel he came into the gathering where the companions were sat with the Prophet وسلم, And he came and he sat right next to the Prophet And his knees were right next to the knees of the Prophet And he sat and then he put his hands upon his own thighs. In this hadith, Shaykh Saleh al-Fawza and Hafizahullah ta'ala, in his explanation he mentioned that one of the benefits is that the students of knowledge, the people who are seeking knowledge, that when they go to the circles of knowledge, they should sit close together to the, the center, close to where the teacher is sitting, in order that the attention can be better, that you concentrate more, that you focus more. So it's better that when you sit in the circles of knowledge, you sit close, not spread out far everywhere. It's better that you come close to the teacher, and that is from the benefits of the hadith of Jibreel that's mentioned, that the person who is seeking knowledge should sit close to the one he is seeking that knowledge from, because it makes it easier to hear, it makes it easier to concentrate, easier to focus. So that is something good that you should do when attending the circles of knowledge, that you sit close to the one delivering the lecture. So we began last time with Babul Wudu, the chapter of Wudu. Uh, we mentioned the hadith of Abu Hurairah where the Prophet ﷺ said, la ana shuqa la amartuhum ma'a kulli wudu, Where the Prophet ﷺ said that was it not for the fact that I feared burdening my people, then I would have made the Siwak obligatory with every Wudu then that indicated the virtue of siwak. That using the siwak, it is something which is mustahab. Something which is a sunnah that it should be done. And it can be done in different times and different places. And it can be done whenever. Whenever an individual feels that there is some bad taste in his mouth or a bad smell in his mouth, then it's from the cleanliness of a Muslim that he can use the siwak to remove that smell. So that is something which is good to do and it's prescribed in the sunnah. Then there were certain places that were mentioned specifically where a person should use the siwak. For example, at the time of making wudu. So when an individual is making his wudu, he's going to start making his wudu, then he should use the siwak at that stage. Also at the time of the prayer, when an individual stands to pray just before starting the prayer, then he should use the siwak also, it's mentioned. Similarly before reciting the Qur'an, for example. So all of these were different times where it's specifically mentioned about using the siwak, but generally speaking, you can use it at any time. So that is one of the Sunnah acts of the wudu. One of the Sunnah acts of the wudu is to use the siwak. <coughs> then we had the hadith of Humran, Mawla Uthman, radiyallahu anhu. In this hadith, Uthman, radiyallahu anhu, he called for a bucket of water or some water to be brought to him. So that he could show them how the Prophet ﷺ used to make wudu. So when this water was brought to him, he washed his hands three times to start off with. Then he put the water into his mouth and his nose and he washed those out. Then he washed his face three times. Then he washed his right hand and arm up and including the elbow. Then the left hand and arm up and including the elbow. Then he wiped his head and then he washed his uh, feet. The right one first up and including the ankles. And then the left one up to and including the ankle. And then he said at the end, He said that I saw the Prophet ﷺ making wudu similar to the wudu that I have just made. And that is a hadith which is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. That was the general description of wudu. Now in the following hadith, there are going to be some specifics that are going to be discussed. So now we move on then to the next hadith, which is the hadith of Ali. Ya, ibn Abi Talib Radiallahu anhu fi sifati wudu in nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala wa hida. bi ra'sihi wahida akhrajahu Abu Dawud wa akhrajahu an-Nasa'i wa at-Tirmidhi bi isnad sahih bal qala at-Tirmidhi innahu asahhu shay'in fi hadha al-bab aw fi bab in this hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib regarding the description of the wudu of the prophet sallallahu alayhi sallam regarding the description of how the prophet sallallahu sallam used to make wudu then Ali ibn Abi Talib mentions that the Prophet sallallahu used to wipe on his head once. مَصَحَ بِرَأْسِهِ وَاحِدًا He wiped upon his head once. Only one wiping. <coughs> then in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd ibn Asim r.a qal fi sifat al-budu Abdullah ibn Zayd ibn Asim, he said, r.a with regards to the description of the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ, he said, "Wa masah bi rasihī." The Prophet ﷺ wiped his head. "Faqabala bi yadeehi wa adbara," that he went back and forward. "Aqabala bi yadeehi wa adbara." And there is a hadith which is in Bukhari and Muslim also. "Wafilaf" and in one narration, "Bada bi muqaddama bi muqaddami rasihī." حَتَّى بِهِمَا إِلَىٰ قَفَاهُ ثُمَّ رَدَّهُمَا إِلَىٰ الْمَكَانَ الَّذِي بَدَأَ مِنْهُ In one narration it says that the Prophet ﷺ began with the front of his head and then he went up until he got to the back of his neck and then he brought the hands back forwards to the front where he began from. And in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا فِي in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr عنهما, with regards to the description of the wudu of the Prophet, وسلم, he said, That he that he wiped his head, 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 that he wiped his In this narration, it says that the Prophet ﷺ, he wiped his head. But then it also says that the Prophet ﷺ put his two index fingers into his ears and that he used his thumbs to wipe the outside of his ears. The two index fingers to wipe inside the ears and the two thumbs to wipe the outside of the ears. That's what's mentioned in this particular narration. So now we'll come to the details of all of those affairs within these ahadith. Right, so now in the hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib, we've now seen the general description of wudu from the last lesson. Which body parts you wash, which order you wash them in, that general description was given. Now in the hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib, that the Prophet wasallam, he wiped his head. أَنَّ مَسْحَ الرَّأْسِ لَيْسَ كَغَسْلِ الوجه. The hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib Anhu explains That wiping over the head Is not like washing the face Washing the face can be done up to three times Wiping the head is not the same as washing the face You cannot do it three times The hadith of Ali ibn Abi Talib explains That wiping over the head can only be done once The wiping of the head can only be done once then the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd ibn Asim, عنهما, it explains how to do that wiping. Because it says that you begin from the front, in that wording of it, and then you take it back to the neck, and then you bring it back to the forelock, to the, the uh, forehead, once again. So you start here, take it to the back, and bring it front again. And that's what's mentioned in the other narration of that hadith. And that's what Allah said in the Quran. برؤوسكم, and wipe upon your heads. And the statement in the hadith, برأسه, that He wiped upon His head, then this indicates that the whole of the head must be wiped. So if a person was to only wipe some of it, and not complete the whole thing, if he was to wipe only some of it, then Shaykh Saleh al-Fawzal, upon this opinion, says that it's not complete. And it doesn't do the required amount. You must wipe the full head uh, in order for that to be correct. Because the ayah says, And wipe upon your heads. The head is the whole thing. So if somebody only wipes a part of it, then the Shaykh says, "La يُجزِئِ it doesn't suffice him. It's not correct. His wudu is incorrect. And if the word r'as, head, if you say the word head, then what you understand from that is the whole thing, the head. If someone says to you, where's the head? You're not going to say, it's just this bit here. Or it's just this front bit here. Or it's just the top bit here. If someone says to you, head? Then what you understand is the whole head. This is the whole head. So now in the ayah it says, wipe your heads. So nobody's going to say, well, maybe the ayah means heads, just this front bit or just this side bit. Heads means heads, the whole thing. So that's why these evidences are general, which indicate that the whole of the head should be wiped when doing the wiping. Some of the scholars, however, some of the scholars, they mentioned that if he was to wipe a part of the head, then it is sufficient. So some of them said, if he was to wipe a quarter of his head, a quarter of his head, then that is sufficient. Some of them even said, even without a quarter, as long as he wipes some part of it. As long as he wipes some part of the head, it's sufficient. Some of the scholars even used to mention one hair or two hairs or three hairs. That as long as you wipe a few hairs, it's sufficient. But the reality the Shaykh says here is, وَلَكِنَّ الصَّوَابَةٌ أَنَّهُ لَابُدَّ مِنْ تَعْمِيمِ الرَّأْصِ The correct opinion is, not that you only do a quarter or just a few hairs, but the correct opinion, Shaykh Sallallahu al-Fawzan says, in his opinion, that you should do the whole of the head. That is the correct opinion. He says, لِأَنَّ الْحَدِيثَ يَقُولُ because the hadith says, بَدَأَ بِمُقَدَّمِ رَأْصِهِ وَأَمَرَّهُمَا إِلَىٰ قَفَاهُ ثُمَّ رَدَّهُمَا إِلَىٰ الْمَكَانِ الَّذ Because the hadith says the Prophet began with the front of his head and he wiped all the way to the neck, the back of the neck, and then he brought it all the way back to the front again. That's what one wording of the hadith says. So, based upon that, the scholar said that's what must be obligatory that you have to do the whole thing. The Prophet, the hadith is clear this wording. He did the whole thing, took it to the back, and brought it to the front. So, based upon that, the Shaykh says. This is an evidence which is clear and frank that it's not sufficient just to do a part of the head or a few hairs or a quarter. But the narration of the Prophet ﷺ indicates he would go right to the back of the neck and bring it to the front. So that is what you should do. And ask for the statement of some of the scholars who say that a quarter of the head or a few hairs or half of the head or a third of the head and whatever the opinions may be. These different opinions which indicate that not all of the head must be done. And the Sheikh says they are marju'ah. They are not the strongest opinions. They are the weaker opinions. Then the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As explains that the ears must also be done alongside the head. This hadith explains that the ears must be done alongside the head. When you do the wiping... Then straight after that, the ears must be done too. This is what the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn As indicates, because in this hadith it says, "Adhkhala Isba'hi al-Saba'hatini," that the Prophet ﷺ entered his two index fingers into his ears. Wahuma al-Isba'ani al-Mualliyani lil-Ibham, the index fingers, Saba'hatini, wasumiyatah bidalik la'annahu ma yusharuh bhimah عند التصبيح. The reason why the sababa in Arabic is called the sababa is because that's the finger that you use to do the remembrance of Allah with. And also it's the finger that you use when you're abusing someone and you're cursing someone, you point at them with that finger. That's why it's known as the sababa, the finger that you use to curse someone with. So this finger is known as the sababa in Arabic. And that is the one that's mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ, he would place into his ears. Now then, if we look at all of these, if we look at all of that together, that means that you wipe the head, and then also, you put the index fingers inside the ears, and the thumbs outside the ears. That's what's mentioned. What about the neck? so far nothing we haven't found anything about the neck in any of these hadith so is it a part of the wudu or not the neck is not mentioned it's not mentioned in these hadith that you have to do the neck as well it's not mentioned it's not mentioned in these hadith anything about the neck i will come to the benefits of the hadith now to summarize all of that the first one, Al Mas'ala Al Ula, Annahu Yustahabu Ghasla Al Kafain, Pabla Al Bada'a Bil Wudu. Wahada mina sunan fi haqqi ghairi al Qa'im mina The first thing that we benefit generally from all these ahadith is that it is mustahab, it is something recommended and liked that a person should start by washing his hands at first. When you start to make the wudu, the first thing you should do is wash your hands. That's what's mentioned in the hadith of Uthman That he washed his hands first That's something recommended that you do Except if you wake up from sleeping at night If you wake up from sleeping at night Then you must wash the hands first Then it's obligatory But otherwise it's a sunnah act To start by washing the hands at first Is a sunnah act otherwise These are hadith that we've been mentioning Uh, In fact there's going to be more coming on the issue yet the specific hadith about waking up from night and washing them, that's going to come in the next section. Then this issue of the hands will become clearer. Then, so now from the Sunnah acts of the wudu is that a person washes his hands at the beginning. Then, the hadith also indicates that it is mustahab and something recommended and liked that you should wash the hands and the face and the feet, three times. That's what's mentioned. There's narrations about it, that the one who does it three times has the highest level of reward, twice is okay, and once is the minimum. But three times is what is recommended that a person should do when making the wudu, to have that complete and proper wudu. المسألة الثالثة دل هذا الحديث anna أن مسح الرأس wahida, واحدة يبدأها min مقدم رأس thumma يذهب illa قفاه thumma يردهما the hadith also indicates that wiping the head is only to be done once, and that you begin from the front and take it to the back, and then bring it to the front once again. The hadith also indicates that the ears must be cleaned, that you must put your index fingers into the ears and the thumbs behind them, and also do that as a part of cleaning the head. Once you wipe the head then you must do that with the ears too because it's mentioned in that hadith that we just uh mentioned now Al-mas'ala al-khamisa dallah hadha al-hadith ala wujub al-tartib fi al-wudu' bi an yabda' bil-wajh thumma al-yadayn thumma mas'h al-ra's thumma ghasl al-rijlayn li anna Allah ta'ala dhakara wudu bi hadhihi sifah The hadith also indicates that one of the requirements in wudu' for it to be correct is that you do it in order that the wudu must be done in order. So what's the first thing that you have to do then? What's the order of the wudu then? We've done it now. So what is the order of the wudu? What's the order of the wudu? What's the first obligatory thing that you must do? Correct. So if that sometimes it's a sunnah. If you wake up from night, it's obligatory. But what's the first definite obligatory action? Correct, you have the intention, you say the Bismillah, you're right, you make your intention for wudu, you say the Bismillah, and then what is the first obligatory action? Washing the hands wash is your face. a sunnah. Wash your face. The face. Imagine somebody came and opened the tap, and they haven't been sleeping. They come and they open the tap, and they start with their face straight away, is it okay or not? They start with the face straight away, they don't wash their hands first. They open the tap and they go straight to the face, is it okay or not? It's okay? Not during the night. Not during the night, during the day we're talking about. Oh. During the night, you're right, you have to wash your hands first. And that we're going to come to another some hadith about it. But during the day, let's say somebody makes wudu for dhuhr, they pray dhuhr, then afterwards, the asr time, they've been awake, they haven't slept or anything, they want to make wudu for asr. They go to the toilet or the bathroom, the sink, and they open the sink, they, they open the tap, and then they collect the water and they go straight to the mouth. It's permissible, the wudu is still okay. But it's recommended that you should wash your hands. It's sunnah. That you should do your hands first. It's sunnah act to do your hands first. And if you've been sleeping, then you must do your hands first. So the first obligatory act then in that instance that we've just mentioned, that scenario, is the face. And a part of the face is the nose and the mouth. And we're going to come to the description of that too also yet. The details are all going to come here. We haven't finished. There are many ahadith coming about the wudu yet. All the details will still come. So after the face and the mouth and the nose, then what's next? Right the right, right arm. arm. Starting from the fingertips and the hands and all of the arm including the elbow. Here what's the mistake people do when they get to the arm? They begin from the wrist. They get the water in the hand and pour it here and they start with the wrist. And they forget about the actual fingers in the hand. It will be incomplete if you do that. You have to wash the full hand and then all of the wrist and the elbow and everything up to the, including the elbow, the full thing, including the hand and the fingers. And then the other side, the hand and the fingers and then all the elbow and the arm going up to the elbow and including it. Then after that, wipe the head head and then with the head, after you wiped it, you must also index fingers in the ears and the thumbs behind the ears. And then after that, the feet, the right foot, and then the left foot. Uh, doing it in order. That order is obligatory. How do we know that order is obligatory? That's the order you have to do it in. You can't just do your feet first and then your face, and you can't mix it up. You have to do it in that order. How do we know? Firstly, from the Quran itself. The Quran tells you to do it in order. Because the ayah says, This ayah, how is it a proof for Tarteep? How is it a proof for the order of wudu? Because you notice here, that the first one is your faces, wujuhakum. it It's got a Fathah on it. It's mansub. Mansub with a fatha. mansub fatha. So the makes it, it No, that's where we come to now. The first two are mansoub. wa But then he says, إِلَى الْمَرَافِقِ بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ Then after, so that's, that's the odd one out now. Then the fourth one, that one goes back to Mansub again. So you've got Mansub, Mansub, Fatha, Fatha, Kasra, Majroor, Mansub, Fatha. In the Arabic language, they say that the eloquence of the Arabic language is that you always keep similar things together. So really, the three mansub ones should have been kept together and the majrur one by itself at the end. Or the Majroor one first at the beginning and the three mansub ones together afterwards. But the point being the eloquence of the Arabic language is that the mansub things should be kept together. And the majrur one somewhere else and the Marfoor one somewhere else. So in this ayah, why did that not happen? This is the Qur'an, the speech of Allah. There must be a reason for it. There must be a reason why the Mansoobs were not kept together. Why two mansubs were t- together, then a majroor was put in the middle of them, and then a mansub by itself at the end. Why did that happen? Why were the mansubs not kept together? The scholars they indicated that this the reason for it is to indicate to you the order. The, this is the order you have to do it in the face, then the arms, then the head, and then back to the legs. That's the reason why the two mansubs are separate. And the majroor is in the middle of them. You couldn't put the mansoobs together because then the order would be wrong. That's the order that is intended. That's why the majroor is in the middle of them. Otherwise, the mansoobs would have all been together. The majroor would have been by itself. But the fact that the majroor is in the middle of them, breaking up what would typically be the Arabic eloquency, there must be a reason for it. Why was the majroor put in the middle of the mansubs? Why not keep the mansoobs together? The scholars, you all said, the reason for it is because the ayah is indicating to you the order. That's the order of the things and that's how they have to be done and that's why the majoor is in the middle of the mansoobs. In any case, if that's difficult to understand for those who don't do Arabic yet, then the hadith of the Prophet wasallam. The Prophet wasallam, what order did he use to make wudu in? The order that we've just mentioned. Did the Prophet ﷺ ever make wudu in any other order than this? Did he ever start with the feet first or wipe the head first? Anything like that. Nothing at all. This is the exact order that the Prophet ﷺ used to begin with every time. All of the companions that narrated the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ, they narrated it like that. Face first, then the arms, then the wiping, then the feet. Every single narration of the companions about the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ. So we know definitely that is the order that you have to do it in. That is the order that the wudu must be done. Um, that's up to there. That's up to the general description of the wudu up to that section so far. The next hadith: وَعَنَابِيَ هُرَيْرَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ alayhi, اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ إِذَا سَتَيْقَظَ أَحَدُكُمْ مِنْ مَنَامِهِ فَلْيَسْتَنْثِرْ ثَلَاثًا فان الشيطان يبيت على خيشومه على خيشومه متفق عليه وعن ابي هريره رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اذا استيقظ احدكم من نومه فلا يغمس يده في الاناء حتى يغسلها ثلاثا فانه لا يدري ان باتت يده متفق عليه وهذا مسلم وعن نقيط بن صبره رضي الله عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أصبغ الوضوء وأخلل بين الأصابع وبالغ في الاستنشاق إلا أن تكون صائمة. أخرجه الأربعة وصححه ابن خزيمة وأبي في رواية إذا توضأت فتمض مَضْ وعن ثمان بن عفان رضي الله عنه أن كان يخلل لحيته في أخرجه خزيمة. Now we're going to start getting to some more of the details within that wudu. So far it's been very general. Now it's going to start speaking about some of the details. The details about wiping through the beards. And the details about wiping through the fingers. And the details of how you make the madmada when you put the water in your mouth. And how you blow your nose out. All of these details are going to start coming now. And these are hadith. <coughs> <coughs> the first hadith says, the hadith of Abu Hurairah, that the Prophet Wasallam said, if one of you wakes up from sleeping, then you should blow out your nose three times. If you've been asleep and you wake up, then it is something which is uh, from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, That you blow your nose at three times Why? Because the Prophet said فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَبِيتُ عَلَى خَيشُومِهِ Because the shaytan it sleeps on the nostrils of a person That's what's mentioned in the hadith فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَبِيتُ عَلَىٰ خَيْشُومِهِ The shaytan it sleeps on the nostrils And so when a person wakes up from sleeping, then he should blow out his nose, blow out his nostrils, three times as this hadith it mentions. Is this a ruling which is general to any type of sleep or is it the sleep where you properly sleep at night? The wording at the beginning seems to indicate any time you sleep, even if you take a nap. If one of you wakes up from sleeping, the beginning of the hadith seems to indicate it could be any time, even if a person takes a nap and wakes up. But then the end of the hadith gives an evidence that the meaning of it is the proper night sleep, when you go to sleep for your proper sleep, not a nap. How do we know that? Because it says, "فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يَبِيْتُ عَلَى خِشُومِهِ." The word yabitu in Arabic indicates the proper sleep, the night sleep, not naps. So this indicates that this ruling is for somebody who sleeps, who wakes up from proper sleeping, from having slept the full sleep. Uh, so it says, فَلْيَسْتَنْثِرْ thalathan, And istimthar is that you remove the water from your nose, you remove what is in your nose. And obviously that cannot be done except if you've put something into your nose first so what's intended is that you put something into your nose and then remove it three times not that you just blow the nose out three times pour some water and suck it into the nose and then blow it out three times this is outside of the wudu this outside of the wudu this is just if somebody wakes up from his sleep this is if somebody wakes up from sleeping then this is what he should do blow some nose Put some water into his nose and wipe it out three times. Blow it out three times. Because the Prophet said the shaytan sleeps upon that person, his nostrils. Shaytan meaning the jinn. The shaytan of the jinn. That they sleep upon that area of a person. And that is because that is an area that is unclean. And the shayateen, the jinn from the shayateen, they like... That area. They like uncleanliness. They like something which is not clean. Uh, so that is the area that they sleep upon. And the shaitan is no doubt najis and khabith. Impure and unclean. So when that shaitan sleeps upon the individual's nostrils, then it affects that person. And it can affect this person, this individual. So when this individual wakes up, he should remove the effect of those jinn of those that came from the jinn by cleaning out his nose three times the sheikh says the purpose of this hadith is that the nose this is what sheikh salah al-fawzani mentions لان الانف يكون منفذا الى القلب وهو منفذ مفتوح ليس عليه غلق فالشيطان يبيت عليه من اجل ان يؤثر على قلب الانسان وإن كان الإنسان لا يشعر بذلك ولا يدري به، لأن شيطان من عالم العالم الغيب لا نراه، ولا هو خاصية يمكنه من خلالها يُلَابِسَ الإنسان، وما يدخل فيه. الشيخ says that the nostrils of a person, they go into the body of a person, and the tubes they continue to move within the person and they go to the heart. They go to the lungs, the heart, that region. These tubes, the nostrils, you breathe in and those tubes and arteries and veins, they go and they continue inside of a person up until they reach the region of the heart. So when the shaitan sleeps upon these openings, these open tubes going into the body, then really he intends to affect the person at the heart. To sit upon these two openings of a person, the two nostrils of a person, to affect the person from inside, going in through the tubes, until he reaches the heart of the person. That's what the intended effect of the shaitan is, when he sleeps upon the nostrils of an individual. So an ind- so a person, when he wakes up, then he wants to remove that effect of the shaitan from his nostrils, from his heart. And that's why you wash out your face, and wash out your nose. And the shaitan is someone, or the jinn from the shayateen, or the shayateen from the jinn. Then we cannot see them, and they have specific characteristics which enable them to Overcome humans, and it enables them to enter into humans, and it enables them to sleep upon the nostrils of a human. And in one hadith, it mentions, "Inna Shaytan yajri min ibn Adam uh, dam," that the shaytan he flows within the human, just like the blood flows within him. So the shayateen they have this ability; they have the ability to overcome humans, and they have the ability to overwhelm them and to enter into them and to take control of them. They have this ability to be able to do this. And they can overcome a person's mind, and his intellect, and they mix in with him. So then they flow with him as if the blood is flowing within him. And then they cause him to commit sins and errors and corruption. Uh, and then it's mentioned, لِأَنَّهُمْ مِنْهُ فَلَا أَمَّا عِبَادُ اللَّهِ As for the righteous slaves of Allah, the righteous slaves of Allah, the sincere slaves of Allah, then the shaitan has no ability over them. Why? Because they are always seeking refuge in Allah from the shaitan. أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ They are always seeking refuge in Allah from the shaitan, so the shaitan cannot affect them. أَمَّا وَالْكُفَّارُ فَإِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ يُخَالِطُهُمْ As for the disobedient ones, the corrupt ones, then the shaytan, he mixes with them and overcomes them and overwhelms them and enters into them. Uh, And that's as the shaytan mentioned, Allah mentioned in the Qur'an, قَالْ فَبِعِزَّتِكَ لَأَغْوِيَنَّهُمْ إِلَّا عِبَادَكَ مِنْهُمَ الْمُخْلَصِينَ That I'm going to overcome them all, except for the sincere slaves from amongst you, or from amongst the creation, from amongst your slaves. So the one who makes the refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, seeks protection in Allah from the slaves, and he believes in Allah, and he believes in his messenger, and he does the righteous actions, and he stays away from the prohibitions. Then the shaitan, he avoids this type of person. The shaitan avoids this type of person. The one who is sincere to Allah, and being obedient to Allah, and staying away from the prohibitions. And the shaytan doesn't go near those types of people. He sees that they are so obedient to Allah. So he stays away from those types of people. But the point being here, the shaykh says, the Prophet ﷺ has informed us and everything he says is revelation. That he has guided us to the fact that we must protect ourselves from the shayateen. And one of the ways to do that is that when a person awakens from sleeping that he should wipe out his nose and blow out his nose three times. Because as the sheikh says, we mentioned the nose is an entry point into the heart. The nostrils, the tubes that go into the body of a person, they are an entry point into the heart. So what do we learn from this then? We learn the fact that blowing out the nose when you wake up three times is something which is legislated. This is something which is proven that you should do. In fact, some of the scholars, they even said it's obligatory. Some of the scholars even took the opinion that it's obligatory when you wake up, you must blow out your nose three times. Although, uh, some of the scholars they considered it to be mustahab. Some of the scholars they considered it to be mustahab only, recommended and liked. And Shaykh Salih al Fawzan he says, As Sahih, Annahu Wajib. Shaykh Salih al Fawzan he takes the opinion and he says that he believes it to be obligatory that when you wake up from sleeping, you should, must, obligatory wipe out your nose three times. He says because the hadith seems to indicate obligation. Command, wash out your noses, blow out your noses. But what if somebody wakes up and he doesn't need to make wudu yet? Let's say, for example, Somebody goes to sleep after Fajr and then he sleeps for 7, 8, 9 hours, wakes up at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. It's not time for dhuhr yet, There's still plenty of time left yet. Does he need to go out and blow out his nose or is this ruling for the person who wakes up and is going to make wudu anyway that he has to blow out his nose? So what's the issue here? The Shaykh says. <laughs> This hadith seems to indicate that anyone who wakes up, even if you're not going to make wudu, that at least you go and blow out your nose. But there is one narration in Sahih Bukhari which indicates that it is only for somebody who intends to then make wudu as well. stayqa fa arada fa In that narration, he says, if one of you wakes up and you want to make wudu. Then blow your nose out three times. So some of the scholars said that you only have to do this if you're going to make wudu when you wake up. But some of the scholars said, no, anybody who wakes up, even if you're not going to make wudu, then go and still blow your nose out three times. Because they said the reasoning in the hadith is there, that the shaitan sleeps on your nostrils at night. So when you wake up, even if you're not going to make wudu, at least go and get rid of that effect of the shaitan. Go and blow out your nose three times. And that is the safer opinion to take. That when you wake up, even if you're not going to make wudu, at least go and blow out your nose three times. Al-masāla aṭāniya, the second issue there is an evidence in this hadith that the shayateen from the jinn, they can overcome a human and he doesn't even feel anything. Look at how now the shayateen, the jinn, they sleep on the nostrils of a person and he doesn't know anything. He wakes up, he doesn't know nothing about it. So the shayateen, they can do this. Also, there is an evidence in this hadith that an individual must do whatever he can to protect himself from the shayateen. Seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from them and follow up these kinds of acts like blowing out the nose to protect yourself from that. Also in this hadith, we see something from the unseen affairs. Clearly, the shaitan, the jinn from the shayateen, when they sleep upon a person's nostrils, it's unseen. If you look at somebody who's sleeping, you're not going to see that. It's unseen. So these are from the affairs of the unseen which we have been told about in this, and that is one of the meanings of Ashhadu Anna Muhammadan Rasulullah that you bear testification that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, one of the meanings of that is, تَصْدِيقُهُ <coughs> فِي That you believe in the Prophet in that which he informed us of. Uh, why has all of this been mentioned in the chapter of Wudu? Because within it is an evidence for istinshaq. Because to blow the nose out, how do you do that? By putting water in first... You take some water originally, initially, and you put it into the nose, then you blow it out. And that is a part of the wudu. When you're washing your face, you have to take the water into your nose and then blow it out. That is a part of the wudu. And that's the reason why the author mentioned this hadith, to explain to you about the, taking the water in and then blowing out of the nose. Istinshaq and istimthar, as it's known. That is a part of the wudu, a part of the washing of the face. Then the next hadith, is the issue that you were mentioning about washing of the hands. Uh, when is it obligatory to wash the hands? And when is it sunnah to wash the hands? I think we'll, we'll start it next time. Because uh, there are differences of opinion and different uh, statements of the scholars. So we'll mention it properly next time. And we'll finish off all of this section. Uh, and we'll go on to the section about how much water should you use for the wudu as well. And we should be able to finish that section too, which means hopefully, inshallah, by next week, we'll be onto the section of uh, detailing the issues of wiping onto the head. If somebody's wearing an amama, when they have a uh, wrapped around, not like this, this is loose, but when you have it wrapped around, then when you come to the wiping of the head, do you have to take it off or can you wipe on top of that? So that's the issue inshaAllah by the end of next week that's where we should be. But from next week we'll start with this issue of the hands and about waking up from sleeping and whether you have to wash them then and it's sunnah elsewhere. That issue we'll speak about inshaAllah from next lesson on next Saturday.